Hello and welcome to the 100 Day Writing Challenge, day 44. Yesterday we touched on a few ideas from the world of theatre to do with offers and accepting offers. And today I want to round up the larger work we've been doing on dialogue, which itself grew out of our work on voice, which came out of free writing, which is itself a form of improv. You see how all of this flows together, right? Today you're going to work on really understanding status. I think, and uh, brace yourself because I'm about to make a bold statement. I truly believe that if you can crack status and offers, you've basically won dialogue. If you just nail those two to the wall, then at worst, your dialogue will always be pretty good. They're so important to the bounce and dance of human speech. And you know them. We know them already intimately. That's why we respond to them as readers or viewers. But it's an informal, instinctive knowing. And we have to take a little while making that knowledge explicit. Working out how to articulate the norms of how human beings chat with each other and why. It feels a bit awkward at first. It's like learning to hold your pen in a new way. And and as I, sometimes it can actually make writing dialogue feel a bit more artificial and, and tricky because you're like going now I've got to write this but I'm also going to be thinking oh god is this a good offer am I is the status all right and you can start feeling a little bit sort of flustered which is totally understandable but after time you know with repetition it sinks in and it becomes second nature again only now you can act on it you know it's like an instinct and you can direct it so status is about the power dynamic between two or more characters. I've kept most of our discussions over the past week or so to two character scenes, just because it's the simplest form of this. But these principles do scale to three, four, whatever. Now, when I say power dynamic, there might not be like a literal different difference in how much power either character has, um, but rather we're talking about how assertive or shy either character acts, how they embody and express power. When I do performance workshops, I often get people to do this very embarrassing but also fun, as so many embarrassing things are, exercise where they walk around the room in circles, all introducing themselves to one another, and I'll call out numbers from one to ten, and they have to act out that status, one being the most shy, awkward, self-effacing, mousy, bashful little wisp you can imagine, ten being the loudest, brashest, most confident, power move, charisma, supernova ever, and, and obviously all points in between. Now, it, it, even if you tried it now, you can probably think of all the mannerisms you'd associate with low status, you know, not making eye contact, lowering your head, making yourself small, flinching, quiet voice, umming and ahhing, maybe frowning, touching your face, you know, things that sort of block your mouth or eyes or line of sight, hiding behind your hand, apologising. People fall into these uh, mannerisms quite naturally when they just try to embody the sort of mind space of shyness and low status. Also, when they do all those mannerisms, they quite naturally start to feel more shy and low status and awkward. For high status, contrary-wise, it's kind of the opposite. You know, big, open posture, high volume, chin up, eye contact, initiating greetings rather than responding or waiting for someone to greet you. Big, clear statements, maybe using people's names. Hello, Andrew. Maybe initiating contact, going in for handshakes, backslaps, bear hugs. 
bicep squeezes. That's a power move, the bicep squeeze. And, and those are just mannerisms, right? They don't, they don't, we're not even really touching the content of what is said. So we do this and people shuffle around the room when I say one, they're all sort of hiding from each other and moving slowly. Then I work up through the numbers, two, three, four, getting more confident and slowly they straighten up. They move faster and more purposely. They smile, they get louder, their gestures get broader. They pass through the range of what we think of as normal. You know, although that exact band is often set very differently for different cultures, genders, age groups, classes, situations, of course, right? Until eventually they're all just doing Brian Blessed impersonations, right? Because Brian Blessed is literally the most high-status human being to have ever lived. Yeah, it's, it, this is a, you know, it's a pretty stock drama warm-up, but what's interesting to me is once the game is over, and in case you can't hear, I put over in scare quotes as if I actually don't think it's over you know when the game finishes and people stop playing the statuses I've been yelling at them they all drop back to their default numbers they're still choosing a number somewhere on their that scale you know or, or you know a little range of numbers that they feel comfortable uh, remaining in uh, you can't step out of the game uh, and suddenly Everyone's very conscious of the choices they and their peers are making status-wise. You know, the status games they're all playing. And what perhaps they stand to gain and lose from each of those choices. It's a really weird moment when you finish playing those games in a large group. And everyone's like, oh, what status are we now? Now, you can probably think of a lot of scenarios where there's a high status and a, a low status person, you know, a master and his valet, a headmaster addressing a pupil in his office, a junior a sales assist, assistant uh, receiving a visit from the CEO of the company, a private visited by a general, a suspect under interrogation from a detective inspector, a kidnapper addressing their captive, a homeless person begging a passerby for change. As you may have anticipated, for today's exercise, I'd like you to pick a relationship with a power dynamic like that. Could be a theatre director and a young actor at an audition. A business person pitching to powerful, busy investors. Doesn't even have to be set in the real world. You know, it could be a dragon addressing a villager stranded on the edge of a cliff. The leader of a vast galactic empire transmitting to the radio operator on a tiny mining colony planet. What you're going to do is write this scene, this interaction between the two characters, except halfway through, I'm going to ring the bell. So about five minutes in, there's going to be one ring. And the traditional power dynamic between the two characters will abruptly reverse. Suddenly the captive becomes high status and the kidnapper low status. The pupil suddenly begins acting and speaking in that high status way and the headmaster or headmistress is deferential, shy and nervous. One thing I was told by the sociolinguist uh, James W. Pennebaker when he came on the podcast was that when he did statistical analysis on emails sent by uh, high status people and low status people, uh, he found that high status people use personal pronouns like I, me, my much less than low status people. They're much more likely to talk in terms of you. I don't know why that is. Uh, it might be that high status people feel less 
need to justify themselves. It may be that they are just naturally giving more orders to other people. Uh, whereas lower class people, lower status people are sort of having to justify themselves, explain themselves a little bit more. Don't know. Don't know what that that's about. It's just a statistical correlation. Um, but remember that some signs of status work differently to how you might naively expect, though. You know, like it's often the lower status person who has to take responsibility for the space they take up. So they have to be much more aware of their environment than the high status person moving to accommodate their superior. I always think of um, Al Capone eating kippers in bed when he receives someone or someone coming to see the boss while sort of he or she is getting a massage. To receive someone, you know, while sitting or even lying down is a big show of status. You might think of the person who's kind of like standing up, who's taking up space as the, uh, as the high status person. But, you know, as a high status person, you take up space however you want. You might be sort of like unaware because you're used to being able to take up whatever space you like. Um, of course... Some of these things are culturally bound, absolutely, and what's considered a high-status movie in one milieu might be a sign of deference in another. Now, you're probably going to want to come up with a reason in scene why the switch from high to low status mid-scene takes place. You don't need to plan it. It can just happen after the bell rings. You might like to borrow from yesterday's technique of over-accepting offers that the other person didn't know they gave. So you might have in your scene the boss character going, now, greening, it is essential that... Are you taking this down? Uh, yes, Mr. Sharp. Read it back to me. It is essential that... Speak up, man. When the customer enters, you immediately impress upon them that this is an establishment of quality and order. Tupperware is to the east. Bin liners are due south. Are you listening to me, Greening? Yes, sir. Bin liners southeast, sir. Honestly, I'd be better off employing my own mother. Then the bell goes. Bing! You reverse their statuses. Now the boss is going to be suddenly low status and greening. His employee is going to be high status. There may be a few transitional exchanges as they rise and fall, but you want to quickly switch. So maybe greening accepts the offer we just heard, the unintentional offer of Sharp's, Mr. Sharp's mother, and says, I thought you said your mother was dead. Um, uh, hi. Did I? You know very well you did. You said that was why the staff didn't receive their bonuses this year. You said you'd spent it all on grief counselling. Well, I, I I think I may have miscommunicated some aspects of miscommunicated. Do you take me for a damn fool, man? No, sir. And so on. Again, you don't need to plan what this reveal might be in advance. Just be aware that sometime after the bell, you're going to want to look for a chance to make the switch. Right, so a scene involving two characters with a clear power dynamic between them. One high status and one low status. When I ring the bell halfway through, switch. Are you ready? Go.
and reverse their statuses.
and that's it. Well done. How was that for you? A tricky task today, especially given the extreme time constraints. So if you got anything down at all, you did really well. Um, it's fun playing with the extreme ends of the status scale, but in life, uh, the dynamics we find ourselves in are often much more subtle. And actually, some of the most interesting drama arises not when you have these extremes of kind of master-servant, but when you have two people very close in status with only a small gap distinguishing them between a, in a scene. So tomorrow I, I thought we'd return to this subject for one more round of status games just to look at the finer modulations, which I think you're going to want to use more, and how you can play with moves that raise and lower a character's status within a scene. I'll see you then. The 100 Day Writing Challenge is made possible with the kind support of Arts Council England.